Well, if you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. For almost seven generations, uh, it has been true that we love our church. Uh, I believe that the Lord is doing today uh, some uh, great and significant things, uh, both in our church and around the world through our church. And I think it's a privilege for us. It is a, uh, a great opportunity for us to be a part of this church uh, at this time and on this special day. Uh, I believe this will be a red letter day for our church. Uh, it will not uh, be the first one. Uh, our church has a long history of red letter days. And if the Lord tarries, it will not be our last one but I believe today will be a day that we take a bold step of obedience, a faithful step, and we'll see God uh, do tremendous things. Your obedience today will strengthen the foundations of our church for years and years to come. Uh, so over the last several weeks, we have uh, talked about our needs, and we have detailed those very specifically. Uh, we won't do that again today, uh, but you're well aware uh, our church has uh, some, some real needs. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about the standard, uh, that here we ought to have at least as high a standard for our church facilities as we have for our homes. And there are things that we need to do here in order for that high standard to be reflected. Uh, yesterday, uh, we celebrated at the banquet to end all banquets. And if you missed it yesterday, you really missed a treat. And uh, we had uh, hundreds and hundreds of people here. Uh, we had the best food, the best time. Uh, it was just a fantastic celebration, fellowship with our faith families as uh, we look forward to what God will do today and in the days to come. Uh, but today, today is the day that we step out in simple uh, and bold obedience, faithful to the Lord. And I want you to know that your obedience is going to make a difference. Uh, you've heard pastors say this before, and it certainly is true, uh, that God is the one who multiplies our gifts. And that if we will just be faithful, even if, even if it's with just a little, if we will just be faithful, uh, that God will multiply our gifts. Well, this morning, I want to show you how that works. I don't want to just say that God will multiply. I want to show you from scripture uh, out of this incredible historical event that is recorded in John chapter six, exactly how God multiplies the faithful, obedient gifts of his children. And so John chapter six, we're going to read this, uh, this, uh, this account of a miracle uh, that took place. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you, it's page 946. Uh, we want everybody to look at this together. Uh, this is an interesting story that you perhaps are very familiar with. It's the feeding of the 5,000 men, probably 20,000 people all total. It is the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospels, which just tells us, I think, something of its importance. And it will demonstrate for us how exactly God multiplies our obedience. Uh, so let's, let's read together. I'd like to ask you to stand uh, just to give special reverence uh, to the value and the truthfulness of God's word. And let's begin reading in verse 5. The Bible says, so when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, 
where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? And it certainly was a huge crowd. Bible scholars tell us maybe 20,000 people. They counted in those days only the men, 5,000 men, uh, but there would have been wives and there would have been children and, and so perhaps as many as 20,000 people. Now, as I told you, this, uh, this account is given to us in all four gospels and we learn from the gospel of Mark that uh, Jesus was teaching these people and so they had come to hear the teachings of Jesus. Look at verse six. He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And so the people were hungry. The disciples are scrambling around trying to figure out how they're going to feed all of these people. Uh, But Jesus had a plan. Verse 7 says, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to even have a little. And so this one disciple said, even if we had all of this money to buy all of this bread, that's about eight months wages. That's a great deal of money. We still wouldn't be able to fill these people up. Verse eight, one of his disciples, Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother said to him, and this is important, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And so he said, there's one boy here, this persistent little boy who has brought us his sack lunch. He wants to help, but Jesus, all he has are five biscuits and two fish sticks. And that's not going to be enough to feed uh, 20,000 people. Jesus said in verse 10, have the people sit down for there was plenty of grass in that place. And so they sat down and the men numbered about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves and after giving thanks, his disciples distributed them to those who were seated. And so also with the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were full, and so everybody is full, he told the disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And so they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. What an incredible story. Please be seated. I want us to talk about how God multiplies the obedience of his people. There are a number of interesting things that we learn when we, when we read this story. First of all, we see that Jesus cares for the physical needs of people. Uh, There were people who were hungry and Jesus was interested in that. Jesus cared about that. We should care when people have physical needs. We also see the creative power of Jesus. Jesus creates bread and fish that didn't exist before he created it. Did you know the Bible says that Jesus is the creator of everything? Right at the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says that nothing has been made that was not made by Jesus. But there are two times in Jesus' earthly ministry where he creates something. And this is one of those. Here he creates bread and fish. Uh, What was the other time? Do you know? It was his first miracle when he turned water into wine. So he created wine. Now, what's interesting is that when we get to the end of the Gospel of John, there are two things that really symbolize Jesus' ministry. And what are those two things? Wine and bread. And the wine reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. The bread reminds us of the body that was given for us, the perfect sinless body and life of Christ that was given for us. And so these two things that Jesus created had significance even beyond the events Uh, at which he created them. 
But here's what, I, here's what I want you to see that's unusual this morning. You've heard this parable taught a hundred times, but, but notice something that perhaps you've not noticed before. Jesus used people in order to facilitate this miracle. Now, now that's, that's, I think, very important to notice. When Jesus does something, when, when God does something, ordinarily, God works through people. Now, Jesus could have done it other ways. Jesus could have just miraculously uh, caused all of those bellies to be filled. He could have done that. Jesus could have caused a uh, McDonald's fish fillet to appear in the hand of every man at that first banquet, right? Uh, if, you can, if you can, with the word, fling the stars into space, then you can, you can call down from heaven any kind of catering order you want to call down. And so Jesus could have done this on his own, but he chose to do it through his disciples. He challenged the disciples. It says he, he tested the disciples. What are we going to do? How are you going to feed these people? He used this little boy and this little boy's lunch to feed all of these people. Notice that Jesus works through people. If I could go back and, and, and be one person in the gospels, who, who would you want to go back and be? Would you want to go back and be Peter or John? I, I don't know if I would be interested in that. You know, Peter was crucified at the end of his life. I don't think I would bear up well under that. Uh, but you know who I'd like to go back and be? I'd like to go back and be this little boy who brought his sack lunch to Jesus and Jesus feeds 20,000 people with it through the obedience of this little boy. Wouldn't you want to go back and be Peter? I, I, and be this little boy, I mean. And so can you imagine when the boy gets home and sees his mom at the end of the day and his mom says, well, what, what have you been doing today? And he said, well, I took the lunch that you gave me and mom, me and Jesus fed 20,000 people with that lunch. I mean, what a brag. I mean, this, this boy, God worked through him to do something that was extraordinary. And you know what? That's God's style. God always works through his people. If you look back to the Old Testament, you see this over and over. So right at the beginning, uh, God created Adam and Eve, but then God stopped creating people. Did you notice that? God created two people, but he stopped. And so how did all the other people get created? God worked through Adam and Eve. God worked through your mom and dad. And, and so God worked through his people to make more people. You ever wondered why God didn't just continue to create people? He created Adam and Eve, and next week he created, you know, two other people, Frank and, and Joanne and Bob and Sally. I mean, why, why didn't God just create all the people? Because God wants to work through, through his people. Genesis chapter 6, God was going to send a flood on the whole world uh, because of their sin, because of their rebellion. But he wanted to save the animals, and he wanted to save one family, Noah's family. So he needed an ark. He needed a giant boat. Nobody had ever built a boat before. And so he needed a boat so that, so that these animals and these people could survive the storm. So it seems like the smartest thing to do, Lord, I mean, if I could just give some advice to God, the smartest thing would be for God to build the boat himself. Right? God could have just spoken it into existence. It wouldn't have cost any money. It wouldn't have taken any time. It would have been a perfect boat. But did God speak the boat into existence? No. God loves to work through people. God called Noah to build the boat. 
Later on in Genesis, the, um, the people of God are in Egypt and they're being oppressed. And God wanted to deliver them from Egypt to the promised land. Now, what were God's options? God could have just overthrown the Pharaoh of Egypt, the king of Egypt. God could have uh, just immediately moved the Israelites to the promised land. That would have been easy for God to do. It wouldn't even have been a hard day for the Lord to just solve that problem. But that's not how God worked. God decided he would work through this man named Moses. Moses was not a perfect leader. Moses didn't have a great marriage. Moses didn't always trust the Lord. Moses had some obedience issues, but God said, I would rather work through Moses because it's God's style. He wants to work through his people. When Jesus' ministry was beginning and God wanted to announce that Jesus' ministry has begun, the Messiah is at work. God could have called angels down to just announce that my son's ministry is starting. He could have written it in the sky, but no, he decided to do it through John the Baptist and sent John the Baptist to herald the, the, uh, the, the beginning, uh, the commencement of, of Jesus's ministry. When, when the gospel had spread throughout Israel and the southeast part of Europe and into what we would call Turkey today. And it just, it seemed to grow very rapidly, but it just reached a, you know, maybe a saturation point and the growth uh, began to slow and God wanted the gospel to be carried across what we would call Europe today, all the way into the western part of Europe, what we would call Spain today. So how did God get the word from Turkey to Spain. Well, God had a lot of options, but he decided to work through the apostle Paul. God always works through his people. And so when God wanted to feed 20,000 hungry people who had come to this all day worship service, how does God choose to do it? God chose to do it through this little boy and his sack lunch. And that amazes me. Now, I think God wants to do some, some special things here. I think God wants to do some things with our facilities. I think God wants to prepare us for future ministry. I think God wants to help our church be excellent in all of these things so that we can bring greater honor and glory to him. So how do you think God wants to do that? God could just snap his fingers. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the Bible says. Nothing is too hard for God. But you know what? You know how God wants to do this here? At First Baptist Nacogdoches, God wants to work through his people. And it is wonderful that we get to be tools in God's hands that God desires to work through us. And so I want us to, I want us to look a little bit, and just briefly this morning, but I want us to look at how God used, specifically, how did God use this little boy and his lunch to feed 20 thousand people. I think this boy faced some obstacles. I, I think there were some, some things that uh, fought against this boy being a, a tool in God's hand. And I want us to see those obstacles because I think perhaps we face the same obstacles today. So we're going to walk back through this uh, historical account and, and see some of these obstacles. But before we do, I just want to have a personal word with you. Uh, so in, in a couple of weeks or in a week, really less than a week, uh, my family is going to go on vacation 
And don't plan a vacation the week after a, a capital campaign offering. It just presents all kinds of uh, ethical questions in your heart and mind. But uh, I wondered if there was somebody in the church that would just like to donate, not to the church, but just to my personal vacation fund. I wonder if there's somebody here, just a $100 bill would get us a nice meal at Disney World. John, my new favorite person. Does Aaron know about this? $100. So uh, thank you very much. I will, well, you'll get it eventually. I know how that works. But uh, hold on to that for a little while. Now, now that we've done that, let's, uh, let's, let's move on uh, to other issues. So some hurdles that this, that this lad faced. God used him to feed 20,000 people, but he faced some obstacles. Obstacle number one, he must have thought, this just isn't my problem. Can you imagine him sitting there? He's just maybe off to, off to the left and Jesus is teaching and he sees that there's some, there's some confusion going on behind the scenes. And, and people are whispering in Jesus' ear and, and he's, he's talking back to them. The disciples are running around like chickens with their heads cut off. They don't know what to do. And he picks up on what's happening. They need to feed all of these people and the disciples don't have any resources. They don't have any food. They don't have any money. They don't know what to do. And so he's sitting there and now he's got his lunch. He came prepared. He's got his five biscuits and two fish sticks. He is good for the day. And he perhaps felt the tug of the Holy Spirit in his heart that he could do something about this, that he could help be part of the solution to the problem. But he thought, this isn't really my problem. If other people didn't bring food, then that's other people's problems. If the disciples aren't prepared, then that's the disciples' problem. This just isn't my problem. You know, it's easy to take a very selfish view of, uh, of all of the challenges that we face. It's easy to think, I'm going to take care of things that are my problem, but if they're not my problem, I'm going to let somebody else do it. I wonder if perhaps the greatest obstacle that this young lad had to overcome was just this one thought. This isn't my problem. You know, that's what people think often today. I think that's one of the greatest obstacles to our ministries. People say, well, I don't want to work in the children's ministry. I don't want to work in the preschool ministry because my kids are already grown. It's not my problem. People say, I don't want to go on a mission trip. So people on the other side of the world don't know Christ, but I know Christ. People on the other side of the world, that's not my problem. People say, I don't want to invest in the ability of the church to reach more people for Christ because everybody in my family is already saved. It's not my problem. People say, I don't want to invest in the facilities at the church so that they could be excellent, so that they could be improved and renovated because it's just not my problem. We look out for number one. Well, the Bible says that that is the default way to think. Philippians 2.21, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But the Bible goes on to say that as a Christian, we should have a different point of view. As a Christian, we ought to see that it is our problem. Philippians 2.4 says, everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us that we should no longer live for self, but for the one who died for us and was raised. See, we have to do the thing that this young lad did first. 
We have to overcome the obstacle that it's not our problem. It is our problem. It is, it is our responsibility. It is our opportunity. I want to tell you a story that, uh, that I just made up. So this is not a true story. It's a preacher story, as they say. Uh, but imagine this, that Jesus, of course, uh, lived his life, uh, uh, performed his ministry, was, was crucified, uh, buried, uh, resurrected, and then some short time later, he ascended back into heaven. What do you think the celebration was like? Uh, Andre, what do you think worship was like on the day Jesus got back to heaven? What a glorious day that must have been. I think when you read Revelation chapter 5, you see a glimpse of what it must have been like. And Jesus comes back. The angels have seen the plan of salvation unfold. They've seen the love and the sacrifice of Jesus. And now he's back in heaven and they are, and they are worshiping him like they have never worshiped before. And so after a while, the, uh, everything dies down perhaps. You know, everybody's got to go to lunch or something. And, and so the worship service is over. And I, I, I can imagine one of the angels pulling Jesus aside and saying, Jesus, first of all, great plan. Now, you have provided for the salvation of the whole world through your death upon the cross and, and, and your, your shed blood. Everybody who calls upon the name of Jesus can be saved. What an incredible plan. But I've got a question for you, Jesus. You've, you have provided this great wealth of grace and mercy but how are you going to get the word out? How are you going to let people know that this is available to them? How are you going to spread the word? And you know what Jesus would have said? He'd have said, look down there at that group of disciples. I'm counting on them. At which point the angel probably would have said, you're doing what? <laughs> I mean, look at them. I mean, it's just a... Uh, it's just a ragtag bunch of people. Uh, there is a former mobster, a couple of former prostitutes. There's some failed fishermen. I mean, just look at them. You're counting on them? I mean, you do this incredible thing to provide salvation for people across the planet, and you're counting on those people to get the word out. What if they don't do it? You know what Jesus would have said? That's my only plan. And if the same angel were to go back to Jesus today and say, what a mighty plan of salvation you have provided. And I look down to the city of Nacogdoches and I see so many people in that county, in that area of East Texas that so desperately need Jesus. You have provided for all of them. How are you going to get the word out to those people that you have given so much that they could be forgiven? And you know what Jesus would say? He'd point right down here to us and to some other good churches in the area, but, but he would point to us and he would tell the angel, I'm counting on them. To which the angel would say, you're doing what? I mean, look at them. They're busy. They're distracted. They, they have secret sins. They're rebelling. They're, they're, they're gossiping. They're, I mean, just look at them. You're counting on those people? What if they don't do it? And Jesus would say, that's my only plan. See, we've, we've got to understand what this little boy finally understood. It is our problem. It is our opportunity. 
God wants to work through us, and he has put us here for such a time as this. Do you know that verse? Uh, there was uh, a woman named Esther in the Old Testament, and, and her whole um, uh, nationality really was, was threatened. Uh, but she was queen at the time. And she had an opportunity to step up and provide protection for her people. But in stepping up to do that, she could have lost her life. And so her uncle counseled her as she was trying to decide if it was worth the risk or not. He said, maybe God has put you here and he put you in this position and provided this opportunity and these resources to you for such a time as this. And you know, I think he says to us, God has put us in this place at this time with our resources and with our opportunities for such a time as this. So the first obstacle he had to overcome was just this uh, simple thought, it's, uh, it's not my problem. But it was, it was. Now the second obstacle he had to overcome very quickly was this, I want to keep what is mine. <laughs> I think we all struggle with that. I struggle with that. I want to keep what is mine. And so I think this little lad, he, he, he knew everybody around him was hungry. He could feel here 20,000 bellies grumbling because of lack of food, but he had his lunch and he knew if he gave his lunch away, he would risk going hungry. And so he thought, I'm going to keep what is mine. That's one of the obstacles that he had to overcome in order for God to do this. You know, we struggle with the same thing. We, we have a certain amount of time, we have a certain amount of energy, and I have a certain amount of resources. And you know, we plan that we have enough time and energy and resource to, to cover our needs, just like this boy had planned to have enough food to cover his day. And we think, I've got to hold on to that. I've got to hold on to it for me because uh, I want to keep what is mine. I must keep what is mine. But here's the truth. And what the Bible teaches, the tighter we hold on to our resources, time, energy, money, whatever, the tighter we hold on to it, the more we lose perspective of what life is really about. Uh, I heard a story, I don't know that this is technically true, but I, it was told to me as a true story, uh, that in Kenya, uh, they, uh, where they harvest monkeys. I was in Kenya one time and saw the monkeys swinging around outside my window as I would sleep at night. Uh, but as they harvest monkeys in Kenya, the way they trap these monkeys is they take a coconut, a uh, whole coconut, they drill a, a small hole in it and they hollow it out. And then they put some nuts in there and then they chain it to a tree. And then those monkeys come and they uh, they thread their little hands through those holes and they grab hold of those nuts that have been placed in there. But then when they have their hand around those nuts, they can't pull it out and they are trapped and they will stay trapped all day long trying to pull their hand out. They will not let go of those nuts. They're hungry. 
And so they, they're, they're stuck. And even when the harvesters come to capture these monkeys and do whatever they do to capture monkeys, I don't know, sell them on the market, uh, these monkeys will not let go of those nuts. They have no good perspective. There are other nuts that they could eat, but they are so focused on holding on the tightest grip they can get on those nuts that they're stuck there and they just can't get free. It changes their perspective. And when we hold so tightly to what is ours, we lose perspective. Can, can I tell you just quickly how to maintain your perspective? There are three things that will make all of this easier. Uh, number one, you have to remember that your stuff is not your stuff. That the best way to maintain perspective in life is to know that your stuff is not your stuff. The Bible says that every good gift, every perfect gift is from heaven. And you are just the manager for a while of stuff. And if we could ever get in our heads that our stuff is not ours, it's God's, it makes this whole thing so much easier. Now, let me, let me share a confession with you. Uh, John over here is not nearly as generous as you think he is. Uh, now, uh, I am going on vacation next week, and if you'd like to make a contribution, you can see me after church. Uh, John, we'll start with you. But... Um, no, I gave this to John before the, before the service started. And I said, John, I'm going to give you a $100 bill. Don't lose it. It's my only one. Uh, but I'm going to ask for it back in the worship service. I want you to give it to me. And you know, John didn't break a sweat. Sure, I'll do that. I'll give it back to you. It was pretty easy, right? Yeah, I, I didn't see you thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm going to give it to him or not. No, he, he just gave it to me. Now, why was it easy for John to give it to me? Because he knew it wasn't his money, Right? When you recognize it's not your money, it's easier to give it away. When I was in high school, I, I had a job for a couple of years at Baskin Robbins. Uh, that's probably not a good thing, but <laughs> I would have set some habits for the rest of your life. But, um, but one of the things that would happen at the end of the day, uh, that back in those days, people didn't pay for ice cream with credit cards. You know, so it was all cash transactions. At the end of the day, the manager or the owner would count all the money, put it in a deposit bag and hand it to me. And I would take it on my way home and drop it off the night deposit at the bank. And it was a lot of money in there, sometimes thousands of dollars. And to a high school student, 1985, that was, was a lot of money. But you know, it never even crossed my mind to do anything with that money other than take it and put it in the deposit box. It wasn't hard for me to do. I didn't have to have this emotional wrestling match with, do I want to give thousands of dollars to the bank? It was easy. Why was it easy? Because I knew it wasn't my money. I was just the steward of this money for about 10 minutes every night, as long as it took to get from the restaurant to the bank. And I was just the steward. So it was easy. I need to recognize that what God has given me resources, even today that are in a bank account that has Noel Deere's name on it. Those still, those, I'm just steward of those for a while. They belong to the Lord. And if he wants some back, if he wants it all back, when I recognize that it is his, I can have the proper perspective and I can give when I need to give. The second thing to do to maintain proper perspective is you need to remember your greatest treasure is that God has chosen to work through you. My greatest treasure is not the stuff I have. The greatest treasure is I'm on God's team. I mean, God's trying to do some, some pretty fantastic things in this world to save people from their sins, to save them from an eternity in hell. And I get to be a part of that. That's the greatest thing. That ought to be my motivator. Number three, to maintain proper perspective, I need to remember that God takes care of his faithful children. 
you, you hear me uh, reference this verse about every other week because it's my favorite passage, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the right time, he will uh, lift you up or exalt you. Uh, give your worries or cast your cares on him because he cares for you. The Bible says that if I'll just humble myself, if I'll be obedient, if I will trust God, then at the right time, he will provide for me the right resources. He will exalt me according to his timetable. That's how we uh, maintain proper perspective. And that's how we overcome this obstacle of thinking, uh, I want to keep what is mine. But third, and this is the most important obstacle, I think. I imagine that this little boy thought, my little bit won't matter. Isn't that what you would have thought? 20,000 hungry people. And what did he have? Five biscuits and two fish sticks. What's that for 20,000 people? Now we're embarking on a capital campaign so it'll take a lot of money to do the things that need to be done. And some people in our church, God will lead them to write uh, a large check with a lot of zeros and they will be obedient to do that. Uh, some of us, uh, our checks will be a little smaller. Uh, some people's will be even smaller still. Uh, we need to all do what God has commanded us to do and the danger to that, the danger to keep us, the obstacle that will keep us from doing that is just to think this, my part won't matter. Look at all the other people in this church. Look at all the other people that can be called upon. I imagine there are people with more money than me. I imagine there are people who are in a different place than I am. My little bit won't matter. But listen, let's, let's look at the story of this little lad and what Jesus did. When, when he walked up to Jesus, this is how I like to imagine it happened. And uh, the disciples have brought him up because he's persistent and Jesus says, oh, go bring him over. And he says, Jesus, I want to help feed all of these people. And Jesus would have said, well, what do you have? And he would have, I mean, perhaps been a little bit embarrassed, his head, hung his head and opened up his lunch and said, this is all I have. Five biscuits and two fish sticks. And what did Jesus say? He looked over in the bag. One, two, three, four, five. He said, uh, I could just see him looking at the boy eye to eye. And he says, listen, son, that's enough. It's enough. See, with Jesus, when we give it all, it's enough. What if, let's, let's play the what if game. What if the little boy would have had only two biscuits and one fish stick? You think Jesus would have looked over in that bag and then said, Sorry, kid, what do you think you're doing up here? There's nothing, nothing I can do with that. All you've got is a couple of, couple of pieces of bread. If you'd have had five pieces of bread, now I probably could, have, probably could have done it with five, but I can't do it with two. That's just too much. Sit back down. What are you bothering me? No, it, it, it didn't matter how much the boy had. It mattered what? That the boy was 100% faithful, that he was fully obedient, that he gave it all. See, Jesus will provide the miracle. What if instead of being 5,000 men, there would have been 6,000 men? Do you think Jesus would have looked at his lunch and said, oh, 
you know, we can't do it because there are more men here than we thought. We can't, I can't pull it off. No, Jesus can do whatever Jesus chooses to do. Jesus can multiply. His math is really, really good. He can make it stretch as far as he chooses to make it stretch. But Jesus starts with us giving it all. So what does it look like for us to give him our whole lunch? It doesn't mean that we give all of our money, but it means that we pray. Whether our number has a bunch of zeros next to it or our number doesn't have any zeros at the end of it, it means that we pray and we say, God, what is it that you would have me to do? And we don't talk about what would be easy or how can I best come up with it or if this is a convenient time. We just say, God, what is it that you want me to do? And then we say, all of that. I'll do all of that. Not half now, not, not maybe half if things work out in a few months, but God, whatever you've told me to do, I'm going to trust that you can multiply what I give and what you want me to keep and you can take care of the problem. See, God wants to work through his people and God will work through his people who say that they're going to be a hundred percent obedient uh, to him. So we come to the time of, of commitment and decision. And here's what I ask you to do. We've said at the beginning, we're not looking for heroes. Uh, I don't want anybody to give more than God's placed on their heart to give. But I want us to be honest with the Lord. And whatever the Lord has put on our hearts, I want us to be like this little boy, this sack lunch. I want us to give it all. Can I tell you something that happened here last week? Uh, Marilyn shared this with me. Marilyn is our financial secretary. And I don't know the name. I'm not sure. I, don't, I have no idea really who she's uh, referring to. But she said somebody had given right at the beginning of this campaign. We weren't taking up money. We weren't urging people to give. We were just talking about it. Somebody came to her and gave her a $5,000 check and said, I, wanna, I, I don't want to wait. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm going to do it. And so she recorded it, does whatever they do when people give. And uh, so this last week, and whoever I'm talking about is here. I just don't know who you are. Uh, but this last week, that person came back in and said, I, I, I want to double it. Now, here's why I think that's an amazing story. Not just because it's $10,000, which is, a, that, you know, that, that's a lot of biscuits and fish sticks, right? Um, but here's, here's the person who was, uh, who was all in at the beginning. But who, and I don't, like I said, I don't know the whole story, but but, but through the working of God in his or her life over the last two or three weeks, uh, they've prayed more and say, God, I want to give all that you want me to give. Is what I've given everything. And they believe that God said, no, you should double it. And they did. And I want us to have that same kind of spirit and say, God, let me be obedient and give you my whole lunch. So here's what we're going to do in just a moment. Uh, we're going to stand uh, for our invitation time. Uh, our ushers are going to come down and they're going to collect these cards during our invitation. Listen, if you're visiting with us, I don't want you to feel funny that you don't give a card. If God has not um, led you to do this, there just might be some unusual circumstance, then, then don't give. Then don't, don't put a card in. You, you just be obedient to the Lord on this. But I want us as an act of worship to place our cards uh, in the envelopes. These are secret things. I think I dropped my card a moment ago. 
But uh, place your card in the envelope that's in the, uh, in the bulletin. If you don't have an envelope for some reason, just fold it in half. That's fine. Uh, if you have a gift that you're giving today, uh, you can put that in the envelope or you can just put it in the offering plate and it'll be, uh, uh, the, the, our financial people will take care of that. If you've already come by and given, a number of people uh, have, already, have already given. I don't even know why, but thank you. <laughs> uh, but a number of people come by and said, just, I, I don't want to wait. I want to give. I want to give now. And they have already given. So God bless you if you've done that uh, or you've already made a promise to give. What we'd like for you to do, if you've not filled out a card, we'd like for you to fill it out today. Uh, even if you've already given, just so all of our numbers match up, uh, that'll be helpful. Now, these cards, nobody's going to reach out to you and say that you're behind or, you know, you said you'd give. Where's the gift? In fact, once they tally everything up, they're going to cut the cards in two. There's a place to put your name on the card. And so I've asked them, cut all the names off. I want the cards and I want the names, but I, I want them in two different stacks. Okay, so, so we, you know, we won't be able to put them together. I won't even know. Nobody will even know once this, all this gets processed. But I just want us to be faithful. I want us to be all the way obedient. And let's see how God will multiply what we give like he multiplied the gift of that little lad with his sack lunch. So heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to pray. Is our ushers prepared to come forward? Is our musicians prepared? Uh, I want to pray. Father, you have uh, been so kind to us. You have blessed us in so many ways. Thank you. Uh, I thank you that you've chosen to work through us, that you've chosen to work through uh, your people. Help us now to be like this little lad, that we just step up to you with whatever you have uh, instructed us to do, whatever you have uh, placed upon our hearts, and that we don't hold back a biscuit for ourselves. We, we, don't, um, we, 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 don't, we don't come with some alternate plan, but we just hand you our sack lunch. And we say, I'm ready to be obedient and faithful and see how God will multiply what we give. Father, may you get a great victory uh, over what's about to happen as we worship you through giving. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to stand. Our ushers are going to come all the way to the front. And even as we sing, they're going to collect this offering. Mm -hmm.